Yeah, and it's it's if you can avoid going towards the shiny thing that gives you that endorphin kick and gives you maybe a one-year really cool story to tell and then it's a tragedy after that, if you can avoid that temptation, that basic human psychological desire, and you can stay consistent with your asset allocation that's been designed for you, that's consistent with your financial plan, you dramatically increase your odds of success over the long term. For a decade, Cahaba Wealth Management has been driven by a belief that our fiduciary responsibility is to have conversations with you, our current and future clients, to discover what really matters to you. Wealth is not created overnight. Instead, it is earned by having a solid blueprint that allows you to plan and build for the future. Our goal with this podcast is to share our best practices and strategies about creating a secure and joyous future, while also addressing ideas in the marketplace that do not work as well. Join us on this journey as we discuss the ups and downs of the investment world to educate you and help you make the best possible decisions for your financial well-being. Let's go now to the There Is A Better Way podcast. Hello, listeners. This is MJ Durkin, the host of the There Is A Better Way podcast brought to you by Cahaba Wealth Management. We are very fortunate to uh, have one of the managing partners of Cahaba Wealth Management with us today. Uh, He is also a financial advisor. Uh, His name is Will Jackson. Uh, Will Jackson, how are you today? Doing great, MJ. Thanks for having me. We are really glad to have you uh, on the podcast talking to us today about a a very important uh, topic, which is um, our uh, private investments uh, better than public investments. And uh, as you and I talked a little bit in the uh, the pre-interview, um, I mentioned to you that um, uh, as an investor myself, I get solicited all the time in the mail, uh, phone calls uh, with, um, you know, we've got this exclusive uh, private investment that you should know about. And uh, I said, yes, I'm aware of this. I've been able to uh, <laughs> to resist the impulse and the uh, the idea, I said the other day on a, on a on a podcast. Um, I'm 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 susceptible to when I see an ad that says everybody else is doing this, uh, <laughs> and I think to myself, I don't know about this. Like, I didn't know I should have I should buy razors from Harry's Shave, um, <laughs> Harry's Razors, uh, and and have an exclusive uh, shave club. I didn't know that was important until I saw it. So, yeah, uh, those are those are basic behavioral psychology triggers that are being used intentionally by sales and marketing professionals in order to create that sense of urgency, which is the number one rule in sales, right? And the exclusivity and limited time, and you're the only one not doing this stuff, so you have fear of missing out. They're pulling on basic human instincts that we have or behavioral ticks that we have in order to incentivize you to take action that is to their benefit. Uh, yeah. And it, and it, it I mean, literally I, I have to say, you know, I, I know what's going on. I'm a, <laughs> you know, I've written eight books. I know about sales and motivation and, and, uh, and still I'm thinking uh, maybe I just really don't have the, the most popular underwear. Yeah. It still appeals to that insecurity, right? You've written all these books, you understand it, you're an expert in the field, and yet you still potentially could be a victim of it. I know. Like, I don't, I don't have Tommy John underwear. Like what, uh, you know, I thought fruit of the loom was fine. You know, maybe but, I'm not uh, as comfortable as I should be. Man- <laughs> 
Yeah, that's great. Well, um, so uh, so Will, uh, let's uh, let's get into the uh, <laughs> into the the details uh, about um, uh, private uh, versus public uh, investments. Talk talk to us about uh, first of all how you kind of see the uh, at Cahaba Wealth Management the financial planning process and and talking about what you call the appropriate return characteristic for each client. Explain that to us so we can get an overview of you know where we're headed first and then uh, perhaps go into the details of of active management passive management and things of that nature yeah and i appreciate you starting there um you know one thing i think that makes cahaba unique in our approach and unlike most of our competitors out there is we lead with financial planning and that is a detailed cash flow analysis of your earned income, earned, earned and unearned income, um, your tax liability from those different types of income. How much do you spend, both discretionary and non-discretionary? Are you taking advantage of your pre-tax savings opportunities? And at the end of all that, do you have anything left over in the form of a surplus? And if you do, what are we doing with that in order to achieve your aspirational goals? And if you have a deficit, what are we doing in order to shore up that deficit so that we can eliminate that going forward, move towards a surplus environment so that we can start to save and deploy strategically the assets you have available in order to achieve those aspirational goals within your, your plan? But that's specific to you. So all that work needs to be done for us to understand what return or risk return characteristic is appropriate for us to get you to success. And that definition of success is individual to the client not some general bucket that we throw people in. So we won't know what's appropriate to invest in for you until after we've done the financial planning process. Unlike the majority of our competitors, like the solicitations you've received, they'll tell you they have a return characteristic, but you have no idea whether that's appropriate for you. And they don't really tell you the risk characteristic of it. They just turn you to tell you what their expected return, what they think they're going to generate from this. And then that sounds exciting and sexy to you. But really, is it appropriate? And when what we do is we try to define what is the appropriate risk return characteristic in order for you to achieve success before we get to thinking about the investments. So I, I really want all of our listeners to to really tune into that and hear it because it's um it it's very uh, when when you were saying it's sexy, I, I was thinking of uh, of uh, flashy objects, uh, you know, yeah. uh, that things that get your attention, like uh, like return rates and or an article that says, you know, private investments do this, this, and this, or even the solicita- solicitation letter or the the ad that you hear, you know, at the end of a... Uh, or some famous person is uh, on board with this, right? <laughs> and you should be investing in this because, you know, a Kardashian thinks it's cool or whatever the, the popular uh, person is of the day. I mean, it's the same type of stuff, right? Well, it's I, I, again, uh, you know, and and uh, and and actually, in in, in a previous uh, um, episode, you know, Chris Conkle and I, uh, another one of the, the the managing partners at Cahaba, were talking yeah. about this, and we said, you know, um, uh, it's not about a formula, a headline, and a blog article that you read, or something you read in a in financial, uh, you know, news barons or something like that. Um, none of it applies. If it doesn't have someone, and Chris used a great word, shepherding you, yep. shepherding you and guiding you toward the individual 
result, you call it the appropriate return characteristic for each client, the appropriate result that you want to get for you, because every individual, every family is different. This is, I believe, the genius of working with someone who adheres to the fiduciary standard, which is we're going to really look at what your end goal is and not just apply it to uh, private investments sound great, uh, great return, you should have it. And as we get into it, um, as we take it apart, you may see uh, <laughs> what was the line, uh, uh, ignore the man behind the curtain. Yeah. <laughs> right from the Wizard of Oz. Yep. <laughs> we may be able to show you some things behind uh, the curtain. So uh, I, I think we've got a clear idea that uh, at Cahaba, you're going, going to get somebody that's not going to say, you should buy this product or do this investment. Um, where do you want to go? What do you want your life to be like? What do you want your legacy to be? And they're going to ask you a whole bunch of questions before they ever say, uh, here's what the investment should be. Did I get that part right? Yeah, you did. There's analogies we can use about you know jumping in a car and not knowing where you're going, uh, and not knowing how much fuel you need, and or what type of car is it? Is it a drag racer or is it an electric <laughs> car? Or you know, there's a lot of cheesy analogies we can use, but the point of it is is to have a plan. I'm taking this vehicle, vehicle being, let's say it's a car, and in, in the analogy I'm using, or vehicle being an investment. Uh, strategy to get you to have the necessary return in order to achieve where you want to go financially. Uh, but in the analogy with the car, getting into the appropriate type of car with the appropriate type of fuel and enough fuel to get you to where you want to go. So it's defining your def destination. Nice. I like that. Defining your destination. Perfect. Well, so uh, we're going to assume that uh, that part has been done, or maybe we'll incorporate some discussion about that. Talk, talk to us first, Will, about um, give us an explanation, a definition, uh, and explain to our listeners uh, the difference between active management versus passive management. Yeah. And this is a term we see thrown around a lot. And there's lots of articles written about the concerns about too many people being in a passive strategy and and active managers have had articles out there saying that they add value within these areas. But really, what never happens is a clear definition of what is active and what is passive. So that's a great way for us to put a foundational stone in the corner so that everybody understands. Active employs strategies that buy and sell as the manager sees opportunities to maximize profits. Definition of maximizing profits is to beat the index that they're targeting and use as their benchmark. So they're trying to be better than the benchmark that they're targeting. They think that their active decision-making adds value and therefore delivers superior returns, period. Whatever strategy it is, that's the definition. Passive, passive is also referred to as indexing. And it's designed to replicate, not to exceed to replicate the performance of the targeted index within whatever sub-asset class is being targeted. So you're not trying to beat the index, you're just trying to match it. Okay, so active management is the, it almost seems to me, now I'm, I'm gonna do my, my line from Denzel Washington um, in Philadelphia, as I'm trying to understand this like a, like a six-year-old <laughs> or maybe a 16-year-old, uh, the, Active management principle says that the personality and the knowledge and the wisdom, uh, quote unquote, of the manager can beat a certain 
a benchmark. And this is where we kind of get this idea uh, of the of the the we we hear the large return number, right? Everybody wants to see the biggest percentage uh, of return. If I if I'm breaking down my strategy, uh, you know, sixteen um, percent uh, seems a lot better than seven percent. <laughs> Return, yeah, right? but, a, but but guess what the 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 story of active investing aligns with the behavioral psychology that's used by sales, and that action results in better outcomes. Me being involved, my intelligence, my ego, my advantage, whatever is being sold to you as the manager's stick or advantage adds value to you, the client, and, and should result in these superior returns. It's, it, it, they're, they're married perfectly, right? Versus a passive strategy of just meeting the index return, there's no real sexy sales line there. It's it, Essentially, a lot of people define it as, okay, we're going to be average. Well, that goes against our innate psychological makeup to want to excel. So that doesn't sound like something we want to do, although in investing, ironically, that is the way to benefit long-term. Action in the near term is actually detrimental to your long-term uh, uh, performance. So uh, let me, let me um, uh, hit the other side of that. So um, I totally get where um, this idea of active management and, uh, you know, and Brian O'Neill talked, uh, with us about the, what we call the cult of personality, yeah. um, you know, about the tying your investment strategy to a, uh, to a face, to a, uh, uh, to a, to a, a personality, someone who talks really well about, you know, uh, we're doing this and we're doing that. It's very specific and we're actively managing. And that's why we get these huge returns. Explain to me a little bit deeper about um, how passive management actually leverages and actually in the long term, uh, you know, and maybe we'll get into this further on in the discussion, but but as, as I'm comparing active management right now going, okay, yeah, I get it. it's based on personality. Tell me a little bit more of the, um, the power of passive management. What, what is it? What is it really? What is it really giving us? Yeah, so I'm going to use data from uh, Spiva, which is S and P. Uh, it's the S and P versus Active Index. It tracks uh, passive index funds' performance versus active managers in almost every sub asset class level within U.S. markets. So large cap, core, mid cap, core, small cap, core, um, and the scorecard as of mid year 2022, which is the latest data coming out, uh, tells us that. 95.34% of active managed S&P large cap core funds underperform their benchmark over a 10-year period. I'm going to say that again. 95.34% of active large cap core fund managers underperform the index over a 10-year period. So we're focused on a long-term return characteristic for our clients in order to achieve their long-term aspirational goals, right? Yes. Why would we go with a 5% chance of success by picking an active manager? Well, that would seem, uh, but let, let me go back to understand, again, explain to me like okay. I'm a six-year-old. So right. explain to our audience what um, the, the benchmark is and okay. how, how the data 
has them underperforming. Explain benchmark and what does that mean in real terms? Understood. So, all right, large cap core U.S. markets is the benchmark is the S and P 500, which everybody hears a lot of, right? A lot about um, mid cap core is the S and P mid cap 400. Uh, okay. Small cap is the S and P small cap 600. So essentially, large cap is the largest 500 or so companies that have over a $10 billion valuation in market cap. Okay. Mid cap is defined as between 2 billion and 10 billion in that realm. Mm -hmm. And small cap is is companies below 2 billion. Got it. Very very simplistically. This is me talking to the 16-year-old. We could get a lot more complicated on that, but that's that's the basic gist. And those are the indexes that are used as the benchmarks against these active managers. So if I say I'm a small cap manager, I'm I'm trying to replicate the S&P small cap 600 or I'm trying to exceed and beat it as an active manager. And so what you're saying is is that the data according to Spiva says that if you're a small cap manager that 95% of the time you are underperforming based on what those funds should actually be doing. Actually, in small cap, it's 96.41. <laughs> it's even worse. And to be fair, so so to be fair to the listeners, large cap is 95.34 over a 10-year period under performance. Mid cap is 85.15. And small cap is 96.41. As of mid-year 2022, that's the latest data available. So if you only want to be a 15% winner, you should definitely go with mid-cap active management. Well, you you do dramatically increase your terrible odds. Uh, <laughs> if, so if you're going to go with it, go with mid-cap, according if, to the data. If you but, want the, the least disastrous results, go with mid-cap and fail in mid-cap active management. And I'm trying not to get overly complicated, but if I go out to 15 years, large cap is at 94.55%. Mid cap goes to 96.4% and small cap goes to 94.3. So as someone who deals in data, I'm going to tell you there was something that happened in that 10-year period with the mid cap that threw that number off and made it better. Because as we get out to a longer term and more data in the longer term, you see it, you see that average moving closer to large cap and small cap. They're they're very similar in that there's about a 5% chance that you'll be successful with an active manager in beating the index. All right. So clearly, so our, our first uh, uh, supposition. <laughs> I think every, I think all listeners are asleep by now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not, okay, I'm good. not, I'm, I'm awake because, uh, because it's important it, stuff and well, it's, and it's directly confronting a misconception out in, in the marketplace and, and the message that gets to consumers, as you alluded to in the beginning of this call, is that active funds will put you in a better place, will make you more successful. And what we're seeing in the data and what we see in our, in our actual practical experience as advisors with clients is it's not true. And we would not be doing our jobs as fiduciaries if we didn't raise our hands and say, hey, guys, that's not the story. And it's, it's not being told because nobody's incentivized to tell the truth. Because you don't get paid a lot of money to sell an index fund. And and I want everybody to understand what Will just said is you're not being paid 
to sell an index fund, which is on the passive management side of this um, argument, if we could call it. And, and I would agree with you that, I mean, I am a person, you could tell I'm an extrovert. I'm a personality person. You know, I love stories and personalities. And when I'm sold the story of, you know, so-and-so is this amazing manager and they understand they've researched all these companies and they look at everything every day. Like I just, I buy the story rather than the data. <laughs> yeah. And, and by the way, um, the majority of the populations like you. <laughs> I would guess. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we like the flashy objects, you know. Uh, so, so let's, uh, okay, so let's continue on now because I want to drive deeper into this. But the, 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 the big allure of the attraction or the, uh, the, the advertisement, if you will, that's out there, as I said, like the stuff that's coming into my mailbox is, uh, you know, I've been identified as somebody that they want to you know, sell private investments to. Um, tell us what is, what is the attraction of private investments and why does that story catch people's eye? What, what, what is the, uh, what's promoted in private investments? Well, you know, you talked about the cult of personality and, and, one thing I want to be clear about is, you know, I'm not saying that there aren't managers that outperform uh, in the short term. And you talked about cult personality, so it's a good segue for me to go into. In our industry, one of the quote unquote greatest active managers has been Julian Robertson. He is the manager of, uh, or he is the founder and the manager of Tiger Management. And it's a family office he founded, and he is famous for uh, training and having other managers who have come out from his mentorship, mm -hmm. and they are called Tiger Cubs, and they have funds subsequently that they manage as Tiger Cubs. It's a cult of personality. Well, without getting too complicated, Julian started his, his career in the 1980s. And we didn't have a whole lot of the rules that we have in the 80s to make the markets as efficient as they are today. Number one being Reg FD, which is the financial disclosure law, meaning it was a more inefficient market back then from a data gathering standpoint. So it allowed him to have an advantage over others. Now with Reg FD, that advantage has disappeared. So his recent performance and his Cubs performance has not measured up as a result. This is not me putting down Julian Robertson. He's a great, brilliant investor and has done great stuff for many of his clients. And I love much of what I read uh, that he puts out. But it's to say that that the field or the game or the rules have changed since he was so successful. And the new rules have leveled the playing field and taken away many of the advantages that led to the outperformance he had in his early years. Yeah, but I, I, I love the Tiger Cub story. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's cool, no, it's man. great. And I, want, all... I definitely want to follow one of the Tiger Cubs. And I I want to be one of the Tiger Cubs. Holy smokes. <laughs> yeah, well, you'd have to have gone to school. Majority of them come out of uh, North Carolina, either uh, Wake Forest or UNC or one of the schools over there. It seems to be uh, where he <laughs> where he finds most of them. So you got to go back to school. Sorry, MJ. Yeah. Well, I, I want to, yeah, I'm not doing that. Well, so, let, let me, let me make another point that's important. We're using long-term performance. I I've referenced 10 year and 15 year performance over a one year period, according to the, the 
SPIVA data that, that I talked about, the mid-year yeah. 2022, the large cap one-year underperformance is 62.3. Mid-cap is 28.2. And small-cap is 40.7. So you can see in a very short window, you can have outperformance. But generally, those managers don't replicate that performance year after year. And because of the loss of compounding, that's what's most important. I wanted to make that point. And again, I'm trying not to get too far into the weeds on this subject, but it is an important subject for people to understand. Well, the the loss of compounding, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'll make a note to ask you about that, you know, a little bit further on in, in the okay. podcast. So uh, I, I want everybody to, again, my my job as the interviewer is to is to break things down. If I understand it, theoretically you will too so i'm like the the old-fashioned decoder ring um (laughs) so i want everybody to get this which i think is important is that your advisor whoever your advisor is can determine and say we would recommend that we put a portion of your portfolio in this active management fund or we can put it in the passive management fund and um you know, in order to, uh, that's the recommendation that any financial advisor can make, right? They can, they can say, we, we, we want this much of your money to go into active management or passive management. Uh, that's the, the function of the advice of the advisor. Am I correct? Yes. Okay. So that's the, the, the question that you might, if, if you have an advisor right now, you, you might say, tell me, you know, really to really understand, you should always understand your portfolio. And if your advisor can't explain it to you, and uh, if they won't explain to you that that your money is being actively managed versus passively managed, um, I, I think you have some questions to ask. Well, now, more simplistically, how is this active manager done over the long term versus the index? Yeah, well, long term performance, as as you said, short term performance again tends to be the shiny objects. Yep. It's over the long term, and then you lose the compounding. That's an issue. So, so okay. So we have this allure. So the private investment. First of all, how is it billed? It's billed as it's. Tell us the uh, the shiny object of the private investment. It's exclusive, right? Yep. So so give us the give us the sales pitch of the private investment. Well, first they sell you on on the person who's running it, right? This personality. Is, this is Will Jackson. Uh, he went to Harvard. Uh, he's friends with Johnny Majors, who studied under Julian Robertson, and Will studied with Johnny, and Will had outperforming last year. Will returned 25%, where the market returned 10%. Uh, we've got an exclusive to market uh, for new investors to Will's fund. Uh, we have to, you know, the fund closes in 30 days. Uh, we have a fund minimum of $100,000 per investor or more. And if you could get back to me in the next week to let me know if you have an interest, that'd be great. <laughs> Sound familiar? I, you know, yeah. I also, I love the uh, the fund closes. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Know, the I, investment, I... yeah, the, the, the fundraising window closes, <laughs> you know, it's it's create that sense of urgency. Can I tell you how many how many webinars I've been on with you know if you don't buy in the next fifteen minutes all the bonuses disappear? Correct, correct, <laughs> right. So so get in fast. You're you are going to it is 
it is called fear of, right? It's called fear of losing out, right? Yep. Or fear of missing out. We call it FOMO, FOMO in our house. FOMO, yeah. <laughs> FOMO. Fear, of, fear of missing out. FOMO, yep. right? Yeah. Yep. So, okay. So that's how it's pitched. Uh, and uh, I admit, sounds sounds sexy. Sounds better than some boring, uh, we're going to put your money over here and over the long term, um, you're going to retire comfortably. So, so here's what's not mentioned. Yeah, go ahead. What do they invest in? Um, do they have the same reporting requirements as public funds? <laughs> what is, what's the fee structure? What's the tax efficiency? You know, how is this going to affect me after taxes? You know, what yeah. is the, what can the manager invest in? Anything? Just large cap stocks? What is it? What's the mandate? And then, you know, that minimum I referred to, if, you know, if you only have a million dollars and you've got to put $250,000 into uh, an uh, actively managed fund where you're not sure what the asset allocation mandate is and you're paying a lot of money and it's tax inefficient, you've just totally blown your asset allocation because you've got money that's allocated to a strategy that's inappropriate for you to re- to return what you need to on a risk return basis potentially. So you, you've, you've filled up the plane with no no landing plan. You don't know where you're going. You're you're a bug looking for a windshield in that case potentially. I mean, it, it might work out. There's a five percent chance that it's going to work out using the data we use from from Spiva, but that's not smart. And that's where having that shepherd that Chris refers to, having that person in your ear saying, "Hey, yeah, that sounds sexy, but let's dig under the cover and let me look at these things and let me read the fine print and let's discuss this in an intelligent way." And oh, by the way, after we understand the investment, how does it relate to your plan? And the why? Why would we invest in this in order to achieve your goal, your goals? Well, uh, first of all, I'm cracking up at the uh, "you're a bug looking for." <laughs> uh, I've said that to some client. I get in trouble with that statement. So, if anyone's offended by that, I apologize. Yeah, but it's, it's, it, but it does serve its purpose, right? I, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, shock therapy that can happen within this to get people to sit back and say, oh, "Okay, that's." That's getting me to think differently than I had before. So I use that intentionally just to kind of shake people out of their their normal way of just not really listening uh, to what's being said. <laughs> well, if, you, <laughs> if you were offended by that, we weren't talking to you. Yeah, but, exactly. Um, yeah, but but I, I want everybody to get the um, uh, again. This is a this is a very specific, uh, a very unique difference between. Um, uh, working with a f- with someone who adheres to the fiduciary standard is that the the private investment, which uh, it typically has higher fee structures, doesn't have the same reporting requirements, um, allows um, all kinds of uh, uh, let's say leeway. <laughs> yeah, as discretion, say it. <laughs> discretion in what they're reporting to you. They don't have to mark to market discretion in the in the way they report to you what they're doing with your money in addition it's the private investment is not specifically tailored to the appropriate return characteristic that you need for your specific situation am i correct will jackson yes i mean there's an yeah. actual example that was out it's in the last month that it's an article i read and i wish i had my source but uh, everybody can can look it up. There is a private REIT manager that came out and basically said that the private REIT structure was advantageous to the investor 
because they did not have to mark to market and therefore the investor was not aware of how poorly in real time the underlying investments were doing in the portfolio so it didn't cause them the anxiety that a public fund causes them because they have uh they have the the mark to market data i mean how crazy is that that's like me telling you that i'm just going to make up the data on your statement and just so that it makes you feel good there's no underlying truth to it but emotionally you feel good looking at it and by the way there is an individual who did that and his name's Bertie Madoff I was so totally I was so totally thinking of Bernie Madoff. Yeah. Uh and and didn't want to say that name, but I'm glad well, That's you exactly did. what happened. He was making up the statements. Yeah, so uh, so for those of you uh, and and a REIT is a real estate investment trust, is that Correct. what that that is? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Sorry, so I just used that as an example because that's an actual there's a quote out there of the manager trying to tout the advantages of the private structure because it it saves the consumer from the stress of knowing the real story. Well, it might reduce, um, you know, uh, uh, psychotherapy bills, but <laughs> but it won't. <laughs> you might be able to make a case for that, but it's not going to. Uh, it's not going to help you get to your your long term, uh, as as Will would say, aspirational goals. Yeah. So, um, so I, I I love this uh, this this dissection here. So. So I want everybody to remember we started with our private investments better than public investments. So let's uh, as we go to land this plane a bit, uh, let's talk about um, why Cahaba Wealth Management believes that the client is better served with a diversified uh, passive strategy or a, a majority passive strategy. Yeah, and that's that gets to the crux of it. So many times our investment philosophy can initially come across as overly simplistic. And when we sit down with clients and we really dig into it, they they find out that it's it's actually very complex. It's very data driven. Uh, it's been thoroughly researched and challenged because honestly, MJ, we're agnostic to what products we use in order to achieve the desired return goal, the risk return goal. But our data and our research continually shows us that because of the laws of compounding, if we go with a majority passive diversified strategy for our clients, they get the risk return characteristic that's appropriate to achieve those aspirational goals that have been defined within their financial plan. So simplistically, or maybe a bit of a, a sarcasm here, which I'm famous for, why would we go or sell or, or build a firm on the thesis that we can be the, the finders of the needle in the haystack. We can be the guys or the girls that can really determine that 5% manager that's going to outperform over the long term. That's irresponsible. And for us, our foundation of our firm and our values says that we want to do what's in the best interest of our clients. So we feel our clients are better served by being invested in a diversified asset allocation that targets the long-term return characteristics of the sub-asset classes rather than trying to find the needle in the haystack. So when we do that, we do a better job for our client and our client ends up in a better place. And hence, that's why there's a better way. <laughs> so so explain to us um, how the, the active management... Um, uh, and the the loss of compounding and how your 
recommending these uh, boring index funds that you don't get paid massive commissions on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're the dumbest we're the dumbest business people in the financial world you guys are you guys are terrible i, I yeah. don't know how, i don't know how you're paying your your uh your office rent um so uh, talk to us about the the loss of compounding or if you will on the passive management side talk to us about how you actually uh leverage the compounding yeah, and, and this is a complicated answer, and and many people, when they hear the word compounding, they really, frankly, don't have uh, a solid understanding of what it means. So I'm going to attempt to get a, the 16-year-old an explanation of compounding. Please. But basically, if you have a million dollars, you invest in the first year and you return 10%. Next year, you have a million one hundred thousand dollars And if that returns 10%, you have a million two hundred and fifty thousand dollars as your basis to start at the beginning of the year, right? And yeah. so on and so forth. So, really, what's important is that consistent return characteristic in order to allow the funds to continually compound, so that you have a bigger principal at the starting or or a bigger starting point every year than you had the prior year, right? Yeah. So that number continues to grow year after year. Well, if you have inconsistent returns over that time period it messes up the compounding. So what the data tells us is that if we target the sub-asset class index, meaning the large cap, mid cap, small cap, the ones we've discussed, and they have that consistent return characteristic, annualized return characteristic over the long term, your compounding works better and therefore you have more money at the end of whatever period you choose, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, whatever it may be. And in the financial planning world, we call that time horizon. Hmm. Okay, that one I hadn't heard. I I did I did know that Albert Einstein once said that mm-hmm. compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. Yep. And he said he who understands it earns it and he who doesn't pays it. Yeah, and it's it's if you can avoid going towards the shiny thing <laughs> that gives you that endorphin kick and gives you maybe a one year really cool story to tell and then it's a tragedy after that. If you can avoid that temptation, that basic human psychological desire, and you can stay consistent with your asset allocation that's been designed for you, that's consistent with your financial plan, you dramatically increase your odds of success over the long term. So going back to what Chris was talking about in his podcast, having that shepherd that not only has the technical ability to put together your financial plan and talk to you about all the intricate details that are involved within that financial plan, cash flow, taxes, estate, investments, behavior, having that shepherd who when you call us or call her or whoever your planner is and say, oh my God, the market's down. I want to sell everything, go to cash. Having that person who has studied and is an expert to say, that's the wrong thing to do and here's why. That's where the value's added. That's where that shepherd shines. It's not selling you something that returned 11% last year like everybody thinks. <laughs> Does that answer the question? I, you know, I think, bam, bam, bam. I mean, we rockied it. We, uh, you know, we, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, look, if I'm d- going to distill this whole podcast down, here's, here's, what, here's what I come away with. Um, my Fruit of the Looms will work perfectly i don't need the expensive tommy john underwear 
I mean, Tommy John may be a great brand. Maybe I don't know that that's a perfect analogy, and I don't have any uh, I don't have any experience or data to say yes or no. <laughs> Well, uh, the fact is, is that uh, the the idea of um, having somebody that is really concerned about you getting from point A to point B and is really going to make the best recommendation. I mean, look, uh, here's here's the real bottom line. If if active management uh, uh, really returned great results for your clients, you would be recommending that instead, wouldn't you? Yes. And 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 a a portion of the market that is more inefficient than other spots, specifically international equities. Um, there are portions of the fixed income market that are more inefficient. There are portions of the alternative space, commodities, and so forth that are inefficient. There are places and pockets where active management actually does add value, and we do deploy assets in those areas where those inefficiencies are are present so that our clients can benefit from the managers that are really good within those sub assets. So I don't want to I don't want to whitewash this and just say we're a thousand or a hundred percent passive because that's the way we feel. We're actually doing the research and showing what delivers value for our clients, and we're agnostic to what the product is. But when the data overwhelmingly points to a majority passive within the asset classes we've talked about, within the asset allocation decisions, that's where we go. Perfect, perfectly said. And and to you know, and to all of our listeners, you know, if that if that makes sense to you, then um, chances are you are already a a client of Cahaba Wealth Management, or you're you're considering being one, or someone has um, you know referred you to this podcast. So, uh, and, and I'll I'll say this, MJ, if if you're not a client of Cahaba and you want to learn more, and this is a complex topic, and there's lots of of rabbit holes you can go down and there's a lot of detailed data that needs to be reviewed or maybe you need to be assured that we've done our homework call us have the conversation with us i think you'll come away impressed that we've done an extensive amount of research in this area and we've intentionally designed our approach to be in the benefit of our clients well said well said well will jackson um this has been a fascinating conversation uh, I've learned a lot, and uh, um, I really, we really appreciate your time today. Thank you for being here on the There Is a Better Way podcast. Uh, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, MJ. I uh, hope I didn't make it too confusing or uh, too uh, drawn out. <laughs> no, you did great. If I could understand it, believe me, anybody can. So to all of our listeners, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, as I just mentioned, chances are, if you are listening, uh, it, People get referred to this podcast. They they don't typically find it organically. They find it because somebody put it on your phone and they said, hey, uh, listen to Will Jackson or Brian O'Neill or Henry Weidman or Chris Conkle or one of the other advisors from Cahaba Wealth Management talk about these subjects. Typically, if you're listening to this podcast, somebody uh, took this, those little three little buttons on their, their podcast, they hit share, and they said... Hey, this is the firm that I trust with my future. Uh, listen to these folks talk about uh, wealth management, protecting wealth, growing wealth, uh, and um, 
and eventually hitting, you know, your personal goals. So we thank everybody who's listening. We also thank everybody who is uh, giving us uh, five-star ratings, writing reviews. We really appreciate those. There've been a lot of those lately and we thank you for that. And uh, uh, to all of our listeners, uh, we appreciate you and we will see you on the next episode of the There Is a Better Way podcast. That concludes this episode of There Is a Better Way. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you check back regularly for new episodes and get connected to the wisdom you'll need to make confident decisions about your family's financial future and well-being. We'll see you on the next episode.